Hello, and thank you for joining us this month on the Alderaan Games podcast. This episode is a Q&A session we did with Joss Spicer of Game Wisdom. It is an excerpt of his podcast titled The Pros and Cons of Platform Creation with Path the Titans. It was recorded on November 12th, 2019. We hope you enjoy. All right, welcome everybody to today's developer cast here on the Game Wisdom channel. As always, I am Josh Placer, and we have another great discussion regarding design with a member of the game industry. My guest tonight is the lead designer as well as the owner of Alderon Games, who are currently making the title Path of Titans, which is a MMO-style game involving controlling dinosaurs. And he's here to talk about the game, and not only that, but the decision of the company to create their own platform slash launcher, as opposed to using something like Epic Games or Steam. So please welcome to the cast, Matt Castle. Hey, how's everyone going? Hey Matt, it's great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm going good. How are you? I am doing great, busy as always. And we have a, I'm sure we'll have a very lively chat because we had a whole lot of people join our Discord when we announced our little discussion for today. Yeah, I was, uh, we have a huge crossover of people who are interested in game development in our community just because of how transparent we are. Mm-hmm. So I figured that if we could send some people over learn about some game design topics or Mm -hmm. even if you're a player learn the decisions behind why something was done right like why Mm -hmm. did the game developer do this or change this stat or this gun or something like that yep and that's how you found me with uh my stuff with game wisdom we're talking about design topics and things like that and Yeah, uh, yeah oh and for people who don't know uh matt is one of my patreon supporters as well and i already thanked him uh, on our chat, but I also want to thank you here again. Thank you for your support, both with uh, your donation as well as being a huge fan of Game Wisdom. Thanks for creating all this free content for people. It's really, you know, something special. You know, like mm-hmm. making a game used to be so much harder when you oh, actually yeah. had to go figure out this stuff for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep. And one of the things I've done is trying to spread that information regarding what game design means because it's still I think considered like a mystic art to a lot of people these days yeah yeah there's a lot of uh, people like don't know why like oh the developers are stupid why did they do this and there's actually like a really complicated reasoning behind why specifically things were done and mm-hmm. some even because of monetization right oh yes um, I'm sure you've seen our cast with Ramin where we've talked about free-to-play design and monetization elements. Yeah, I also saw a cast about, uh, I think it was mobile games yep. and some of the predatory things they do with, you know, mm-hmm. microtransactions and anchors and things like that. Yeah. And uh, to all of your followers coming on the chat, welcome to our stream. Again, if you haven't checked out, we have a Discord and Patreon link down below. If you have any questions for Matt regarding the game, uh, feel free to get them in. We'll, we will try to get to them as we go forward. But we certainly have a lot to discuss here, not only about Path of Titans, but about the design, as well as a, the whole point of our cast, only about platform generation. So, uh, to begin with, Matt, since this is your first time on these casts, can you talk a little bit about your background and what is Path of Titans? 
So I originally started making games, I think, in like primary school or something like that. I started um, making mods of games and things like that. I think uh, I was spending all my time just playing video games, and my dad was like, why are you spending all your time playing video games? You should be making them. And so I'm like, hmm, good idea. So I started doing that. I think I started out with Warcraft 3 maps and <laughs> mods of the armor series and things like that. And then I uh, I think I did a mod for Armor 3 for like five years called Breaking Point. It's like okay. a zombie survival kind of, kind of mod. And then uh, I also created another dinosaur game called The Isle, which I worked on for a number of years. Okay. And now moving over to making Path of Titans uh, and my own platform. And uh, Path of Titans is born out of the... Uh, there's a tar- huge target audience of people who like playing as animals because it's just so different from mm-hmm. the generic you play like a first-person shooter kind of game. It's just something different because it, there's a small number of dinosaur games you know, that you can actually play that play as the dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Um, I, I'm i pretty sure I know the answer to this one, but I'm, I'm sure you probably have played a few like the Jurassic Park games that came out back in the day. Yeah, and I remember like Jurassic Park Operation Genesis mm-hmm. uh, on the original Xbox and all those games. And uh, people who like dinosaurs, really, they're really <laughs> particular. You know, they're like, this dinosaur's, you know, <laughs> finger like boned, like, you know, first bone connecting to this joint on the finger. I think this is inaccurate or something like that. And they're very vocal about, you know, accuracy and feedback and really passionate to where the reason why Path of Titans was to develop so quickly is there's a huge crossover between hmm. people who like dinosaurs and people who draw art. So we have a lot of people who just draw dinosaurs because they like dinosaurs so much and they're prime candidates for joining our development team. Great. And you said you've been working on this for about two years now? So I've been doing Path of Titans since January uh, this year, actually. So it was publicly announced in February. Okay. And, you know, we've, we've got an estimated date of launch in February, around February. But it's it's basically we're trying to do a MMO in a year, which is Ooh. crazy because they take five years to make. Oh, right? Yes. Right? So it's, you know, we're work and magic to make everything happen and i think uh originally when i was young i think when i was 16 i was like into i want to make an mmo mmos are great and like three years later i realized how hard at making one was Mm -hmm. and my engine i was using a a a company called big world technology and they actually got bought out by world of tanks uh because Mm -hmm. their royalty to pay to the engine provider was uh more expensive than buying the whole company (laughs) Right, and then they dropped indie development as soon as they got bought. So I've had like a lot of projects fail and not be successful, and I've kind of learnt, you know, to go across. Like hmm, maybe I shouldn't start off with an MMO kind of game. Um, <laughs> that is actually very uh, funny because I just gave a talk about uh, the reality of game development the other night. And they said there are developers out there who think they can make an MMO in like one year and we compete with World of Warcraft. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to compete with World of Warcraft, <laughs> but. I mean, MMOs use interchangeably. Like, we only plan currently to support around 200 players or server on launch. Okay. So, you know, it stretches the definition of an MMO, but there is some technology you can use to get that out there, but it's it's not easy, right? Like, if you're doing your first game, don't yeah. like, even multiplayer, people are like, oh, just add multiplayer. And it's <laughs> like, well, do you realize that you can't add multiplayer as a stretch goal? It actually, um, you actually have to rework the entire game mm-hmm. and all the design decisions you made that 
worked previously that just don't work anymore. You know. Yeah, I'm sure from my audience, we've never talked about multiplayer being done in a weekend, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think multiplayer is like the amount of time you have to, to make your game just double it, and and you can possibly get multiplayer in. Hmm. So um, this was a question that was asked, but I think also we can bring it up here. What platforms is Pathetonians being aimed for? So right now we're taking the approach. It's a, l- a little bit of a weird approach, but we're taking the it's on everything approach, which <laughs> is Windows, Mac, Linux, iOS, Android. And, you know, we've got working on some console stuff, but, you know, I can't, can't really talk about too much of that yet. Okay. And you are, and, I'm looking at your website now, so you are planning or looking into cross-platform play, is that right? Yeah, so I, I have a strong belief that, um, that, you know, a lot of people treat a platform launch as, okay, I launch on console first, and then a year later I launch on some other platform. And really what happens is when they launch on console or port to console, they have to remake a lot of the game, like, for example, controller support or a lot of the UI or design decisions they made for a certain platform just are incompatible with say another platform like mobile for example right Mm -hmm. so what we take the approach is instead of you know paying a porting company a few hundred thousand to port our game a year after it comes out we're going to sign up to all the platforms at the beginning and design the game with all the platforms in mind from Mm -hmm. the start Mm -hmm. and you save a lot of redoing things and reworking Mm -hmm. things and I, i really think that Doing cross-platform play is really hard, but I really think that the future mm-hmm. of multiplayer games is cross-platform play, and being able to, you know, play on your PC and log out, log in on your phone, maybe on a train or something like that, and yeah. continue where you left off. I mean, we heard a lot of big discussions when Epic was uh, making cross-platform cross-platform play for Fortnite, and especially when they ran into some trouble with Sony, and they eventually got Sony to change their mind on cross-platform play. Yeah, so I think I'm trying to create an expectation that, hey, if you're multiplayer on multiple platforms, you should be cross-platform multiplayer. Like, there's mm-hmm. little to no reason why you shouldn't be kind of thing. That that should be an expectation for gamers, and that'll make it so much easier for other developers to become cross-platform because there's a lot of politics around all these platform providers that you have to jump through all these hoops you know they're like oh this platform doesn't like this other platform because they're competing and gonna jump through (laughs) all these hoops but if you know fortnite came in and set a standard this is how games are made i think that's what people should follow is like in that footsteps so i'm just trying to make it easier for other developers because it's actually hard because you know (laughs) um if you're exclusive to a a platform they're gonna they're gonna give you free marketing right if you're on every platform you better do your own marketing right that's expensive Oh, yes. And as I'm sure you're finding out, you also have to make sure that your game is compatible for each platform as well. Yeah, so there's, like, writing compliant code and things like that and design decisions, you know, where you might have a player using a touchscreen and another player using a keyboard. How yep. does that balance work out? You know what I mean? And things like mm-hmm. that. How it'll work. Yep, definitely. So I'm looking at the site for Path of Titans. It looks very interesting. I guess... The one thing that I'm kind of curious about, so like, what is like the general gameplay loop going to be for it? Okay, so there's there's survival kind of games. I don't know, like Daisy and mm-hmm. Rust and things like that, where you're a human, you spawn in, and you can collect gear and stuff like that. Uh, 
there gets a point where it gets boring, where you've either done everything or something like that. And uh, I've, de I've developed similar survival game, dinosaur survival games previously. And the main feedback we got from people was, this is really cool, but it gets boring after a while, right? And the problem we're trying to solve is there's like interesting things for dinosaurs to do, right? Because if you're a dinosaur, you can eat, you can drink, you can survive, you can kill things. But we need a, things a little bit more interesting that we mm -hmm. want people grouping up, we want people doing quests, that kind of thing. Because otherwise, you know, the gameplay is not interesting enough. Okay. But uh, yeah, in terms of to talk more about a gameplay, you might start off as a smaller dinosaur and you get points for doing quests and you can grow and unlock new dinosaurs. And we're trying to set it up in a way where, you know, if you look at the, the screenshot of the... We've got a Sukumimus, like really... Uh, sorry, yeah. Uh, uh, Spinosaurus really big guy in the back why doesn't everyone just play him he's yeah. like the biggest strongest guy or whatever it is we're trying to create a gameplay where playing as a little guy might actually be more interesting like you could jump or you can hide behind things or <laughs> there's like a game like each dinosaur kind of has a different gameplay style so yeah. like you know a lot of people think hey every character in a game should be equal distribution of players we're thinking okay this one dinosaur five percent of people might only play this one but they really really love it because it's exactly how they like playing the game and that's kind of what we're trying to capture yeah because i can see you can run into that problem like if the t-rex is so cool everybody wants to be a t-rex and yeah. nobody's going to care about the other ones and some people so one thing i ran into game design was people like creating artificial limits right mm -hmm. so they don't think they're game design through enough and they're like let's create an artificial limit as in only one person can be the T-Rex and well that's not fun for anybody right it's actually harder to design your game where you don't put a random limit in for example like if you have somebody logging out of the game too much well you could only log out once every four hours or something like that like that's kind of just like an artificial limit how else could you solve that same problem in a more difficult way right because mm -hmm it's very easy to jump to restrictions and that kind of stuff. So we want to yep. design the game as much as we can without just being like, oh, only one person can play the big guy. And that's actually the challenge. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we see with a lot of games, especially something like uh, Monster Hunter, for instance, when you have like 14 different weapons, is that instead of trying to nerf, you know, everybody likes one weapon, so we're going to nerf it, they went for the route of, we're just make essentially 14 different paths of playing the game, and each one, you know, somebody may like one or the other, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, so having, like, you know, World of Warcraft spent, like, 10 years plus balancing their game and it's still not balanced yet, right? Yeah. So I feel like an indie team trying to solve that problem <laughs> is not as possible as we think it is. I think the solution is this is a gameplay style, you know? Like, they're all fun, they're all cool, and they're a unique way. One's not like massively overpowered or anything, but you know they're balanced that kind of way versus a we bump this dinosaur's attack up by one, you know, and it's like, well, does that make a difference, or is you know mm -hmm. the game any better for that? And also, if you balance something, someone's like, I used to really like playing this dinosaur, mm -hmm. and now you've nerfed it, now I'm pissed off, and yeah. you've ruined this dinosaur. Can't you go back to this? And each person wants to have the game different and. Mm -hmm. One of the primary things of Path of Titans I haven't mentioned is we're not. We, I, I'm not. I don't really think of it as building a game. I think of it as I'm building a toolkit for you to make your own dinosaur experience. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's that's why we're on all the platforms. That's why we have modding support. That's why we have cross-platform play. Is 
uh, you might have someone who wants to host a realism server, for example, and they might change the stats on this dinosaur only on that server, and mm-hmm. they can do that. So it's more like a tool to build your in-game experience in our game. Like we'll have official servers and we'll have the base experience that we've made, but you can go in, you can pick dinosaurs from only certain periods and stuff like that and change how the gameplay is. Mm-hmm. And a few questions came in from chat. Uh, Black Lion asked, uh, it's one thing, will the game be allow like a first-person view or will it be third-person? So currently planning on third-person, mainly mm-hmm. because... Um, when you mount a camera on the head of a dinosaur, it's very <laughs> problematic in terms of like not getting erosion sick and oh, yeah. moving everywhere. Like I'm sure there's a way we could do that, but it's not an initial goal right now, just because um you know like it's it's hard to get people to get motion sick and stuff like that. And you're a really locked dinosaur, so you've got this turning arc where mm-hmm. controlling it's going to be a little bit. When you're a human, that's really easy, right? Like <laughs> a lot of the game engines, like Unreal Engine, for example is designed for humans and human gameplay and to do path of titans we actually have to edit the engine and do like custom collision and stuff like that go through a hundred thousand lines of code and be like okay (laughs) it uses a capsule for collision we need to change that to something else yeah because having these dinosaurs collide and interact properly is really really difficult Mm -hmm. another question will the game feature blood and gore and will that be a toggleable yeah so um one of the main problems is we want to put our game as many places as possible and like countries like china for example like if you have blood in your game or you have skeletons or things like that you're not going to get you know pass or you know the chinese government's going to be like well you know this doesn't fit in with our culture and stuff like that so we want to have options for that we also want to have options for like a kid like kids really love dinosaurs mm-hmm. like the target audience like i think between a male and female is split up almost 50 percent if you compare that for a first-person shooter, um, mm-hmm. it might be 99% male, right? So there's a very diverse target audience of people because they just like dinosaurs, right? So we want to, maybe for a kid, um, we might disable chat as well, but you can still communicate through dinosaur calls, right? So mm-hmm. we have keys on your key. You can press the one key and your dinosaur will do a broadcast, for example, and you press two for like a friendly call and three, like I need help or I'm aggressive or something like that. And you can see people like spectate people communicating mm-hmm. just through dinosaur calls and people remember that's the help call someone's in danger i'm going to go over there and help them <laughs> yeah and we've seen some games go for that route i know i think it was i think the game was journey that uh, playstation 3 or 4 title where you can only communicate through gestures as a way of kind of turning off you know some of the more toxic chat or have or you know getting around having to worry about profanity and things like that yeah so we figured that like some games don't do it well some games you're like i need help there's a zombie on me and you're pressing between two options that (laughs) don't work and you're struggling but with this game once you learn the calls and you can hear other people talking and communicating it feels like a really immersive experience people acting like dinosaurs and it can be really interesting and that can be a challenge when designing your game it's like well, how do we get people to behave like real dinosaurs? Like some games make dinosaurs like monsters and things like that, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is super scary, but we're going towards a, it's an animal kind of direction and how can we fit it in and make it realistic? Mm-hmm. Now I'm looking at the page, I'm like seeing stuff about how you can alter your dinosaurs, you upgrade. 
So what kind of, I guess, progression curve are you going for? So the progression curve... So we found with with experience in making games that, that people need something to get attached to. You know, they need, like, a skin they can unlock or they need yeah. some progression. Because otherwise there's, there's no reason of caring about the game. So, like, some survival games actually have permadeath, where if you die, you just lose everything, right? And there's other dinosaur games where... You die, you start again off as a baby dinosaur, and it's, you know, you might a glitch might kill you, you might be really <laughs> upset, but we're, we're putting us somewhere in the middle, where you need to care about your life, but we don't want you to care about it too much that you're really upset, right? Some games, if you don't care about your life, then the gameplay experience is very different in multiplayer, because mm -hmm. it's kind of like a birdbath simulator, is what people call it, where, <laughs> you know, we go on the game, and someone just raw 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 over and over again they're like spamming the raw key mm. and there's no reason for them not to sp to spam the raw key right but if you mm. put in permadeath you go in the game it's silent right like the guy might be a guy in a bush next to you and he's not <laughs> making a single sound because he doesn't want to die and lose all his stuff right mm -hmm. so we're kind of going in the middle of that but for progression we want you about a complete quest get points unlock new skins and things like that we see that a lot of the progressions going to evolved on, you know, unlocking new colors and skins. I don't know if you've seen our character customization, but we don't use a color wheel for customization. We have individual unlockable colors. Okay. Like that. You unlock cosmetic things. We can do things like different attacks and things like that, but we also don't want to create a massive imbalance where someone's playing for a long amount of time. They level up too much. They're like really strong and, you know, just murders everybody. We kind of like a, it's like a, differences in trade offers and you're not always getting better you're trading this for this like gameplay souls kind of thing yeah you have to i think very kind of multiplayer based game you gotta be really careful that that kind of like king of the server kind of atmosphere yeah yeah and we see people um grouping up and being able to take down that king of the server and you know him mm -hmm. having his own kind of problems like for example one of the problems with uh, previous games is um you, you might have a land center in China and there might be 200 people right there. Mm. And one buddy screams out, hey, I'm going to log into the server now. And they all log in right next to a lake in front of somebody and just murder them and log back out. Like <laughs> one person's in there being a scout. And you can't pre-design your game that yeah. like this is going to happen. A lot of fixes we're going to have to do is going to be based on analytics, right? So we integrate analytics to our platform. So when somebody dies, they put a spot on the heat map we can see where people are dying, what's fun, what's not fun. Because mm -hmm. you can only design... Like People get these ideas in their head like, oh, if you have a cave you can hide into, what happens when someone runs into the cave while you're chasing them? Are they going to get away? Can they not enter that cave? And there's a whole loop of things that could happen. And then there's what actually happens when your game goes live, which is you mm -hmm. know, people don't behave like expected. Right? Oh, yes. So I could compare this to, for example... Um, an IRL comparison where the government's like, we don't want people buying um, sugary drinks, so we're going to put a tax on it. Uh, and then people buy alcohol instead because it's cheaper, right? And it's like, well, we didn't solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of really connected <laughs> to game design where you try to solve the problem and players just do a different thing, not the thing you actually intend them to do. Or they create a new problem for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's very aware of that kind of stuff. And we're aware that we won't fix all of that before launch. Uh, especially as an indie team, we don't have like a budget for like a spare 200 QA testers and things <laughs> like that. I think on another dev cast, you talked about 
mm-hmm. sometimes you appreciate the testers you've got just because you know you can't just you know yeah. have every single game development problem solved for you. Mm-hmm. And the whole part about kind of being able to swap in out abilities or change your dinosaur, it really reminds me of that classic game, the EVO for the Super Nintendo. Have you ever yeah. heard of that one? I I haven't played that like Nintendo. I'm pretty young, so the Nintendo was <laughs> you know just just getting started. I think when you know Randall was born. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favorites growing up. That you basically evolve your animal and you can swap out different parts, and that changes your stats and abilities. It was a lot of fun, and they never really did anything else with that kind of design. Yeah, so we see you know people being able to get progression or even one concept we're looking into is scars like what we can do is when you get scratched somewhere we can save that into a texture file of he got scratched here and like merge two textures together and then we can save that in a database somewhere like here's your scratch texture right and that might be all the locations you've got to attack and that you know makes you attach to your character right like you like you lose a horn or something like that or you know uh, some plate as a stegosaurus for example um, makes you attached to your character and unique unique things like that that make the game interesting for people mm-hmm. and a few other questions uh, Black Lion asks will there be like feather effects for example uh, will there also be things like bone breaking when a dinosaur yeah, gets hit so, you know for combat we have localization, localized damage so there might be some weak points on the dinosaur where Hey, you want to attack? You want to attack near this neck location or something like that? And there's also bone breaking. Um, I don't, not sure about diseases yet because, like, um, you have to be careful about just adding in a mechanic. Like, how will it affect people's gameplay and stuff like that? So, we'd have to look into something like that. But definitely, eating, drinking, bone breaking, damage—you know, you being able to heal, things like that—that uh, make the game interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, to Vivid Sky's point, that's another really good one. Did you play or did you look at Spore at all that came out last decade? Um, I think other people of my team did, but I haven't played it too much. Hmm. Yeah, Spore was a very interesting game. I spoke with uh, Chris Hecker about a few years ago. He's doing Spy Party now. And very ambitious idea, but I think it ran into that same problem of they really couldn't develop that gameplay loop beyond just being a really cool idea. Yeah, and the the other problem is is you can't treat this game like a, a you have opposable thumbs kind of game by adding in all these, like if you're trying to compare it to World of Warcraft, for example, they can do a lot of stuff like building bases and stuff like that. That's unrealistic, unrealistic for dinosaurs <laughs> to do, so we have to come up with new and interesting ways of you to have this kind of gameplay loop, but as a dinosaur and have it make sense, right? We're breaking the realism a little bit just to make the game fun, but we're not going all the way to, you know, Rust, World of Warcraft kind of style of <laughs> gameplay. So dinosaurs can't be building castles in your game? Yeah, but, <laughs> you know, one concept we have is a player cave where you can, you go into a point, a cave on the map, and you can get your own cave and upgrade it, and it's kind of like an instance zone, and it's you know, not kind of like building your own house, but it's kind of comparable to that kind of thing where you can upgrade it and, you know, maybe you have scratches on the wall for how many people, like the other dinosaurs you've killed or something like that, where it, it's, it makes sense uh, because, like, for example, for a multiplayer persistent world, players need to feel like they've 
made an impact on the world to 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 be interested in the game right if the game's static and you can't actually change anything in the world Mm -hmm. it's going to feel very shallow and that you're not actually making a difference so that's where player caves come in it's only for Mm -hmm. a certain sub set of people right so um and also people change their gameplay right so one time you might want to log in as a herbivore and play a certain way the other time you might want to log out log in as a spinosaurus for example and go around catching fish or you know log in as a rex and go around trying to murder everybody each each day you play the game you might have a different oh i want to try this thing so that's why we let you have multiple characters kind of like what Warcraft does where you can log in and log out and switch between different characters and change gameplay styles you know if you want to group up with your friend he might be a herbivore and you might be a carnivore so you might need another character so you can mm-hmm. you know play together otherwise you'll just be like eating eating him <laughs> instead of you know progressing the and, game right? and that ruins friendships i think right there <laughs> yeah yeah um axel uh i'm hopefully i didn't butcher that name too much ask what's your favorite dinosaur in the game so far that's that's a really hard question <laughs> you know i think that's like the hardest question anybody can answer because i i do like a lot of them um because they all have different styles right so the Sukumimus is really cool because of his fishing angle. Like a raptor is really, like small and agile and stuff like that. I'd probably say more like a the raptor we have, but um, just because it's just not like it's very uh, stereotyped that everyone's favorite dinosaur is either the T Rex or the Spinosaurus. You know, <laughs> like we we thought about actually not adding them to the game just to see how people would react because of like you know it's very like. Here, this is the strongest one, so it has to be my favorite because it's strong. And I think you know the real answers are a little bit no more nuanced on, you know, I like the way it looks or I like the way it plays or something like that. <laughs> and I guess with like the kind of design, you mentioned, of course, like the idea of having quests and you know things to do. Like, what kind of like quests are you going to be like planning for this kind of game? So. There's obviously your basic, like, kill this thing, yeah. fetch this thing kind of quest, but there's also might be, you know, protect this AI, other AI herbivore from being killed from this other NPC, or, like, some kind of, like, quest where it's based upon other players or the environments. And the really cool thing is you can actually share quests with people. So you might form a group of dinosaurs in the game and hit a button to share a quest with somebody and you can go do that quest together and feel like you've got an objective and something to do. Because otherwise, you kind of just level up and get stronger and yeah. you get bored and run around and kill everybody. Like, that's exactly what we don't want. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just, like, thinking about in terms of, like, the general gameplay, like, will there be, I guess, different quests for, like, different dinosaur types? Or... Yeah, so, you know, obviously, if you're a carnivore, there might be very different requirements on more more killing orientated because if all the dinosaurs gameplay are different we can't have we can't give you a quest that maybe is hard to complete as a dinosaur you're playing so we find you in the quest a little bit for this makes sense for the dinosaur or gameplay you're playing mm-hmm. uh, let's see what came in uh hd gamer asked uh, how do you plan to make playing as the herbivores less idle and more of a consistent movement and not just staying in one area so the the kind of solution we've prototyped a little bit on that one is uh we basically have uh herbivores need to eat food and things like that and a mechanic we're looking into is 
being able to have either a lake dry up or for you to run out of food in an area and need to move right so that's one of the reasons why you should move another reason is obviously uh quests and things like that um so growth isn't based over time it's based upon quests right okay. so the problem with other games is if you grow over time or you get better over time you just sit in a bush and wait till you're really strong yeah right we want people to be moving around to get progression because otherwise people feel like it's some kind of walking simulator or some kind of bush simulator <laughs> where you're like well i'm just gonna wait till i'm old enough to murder everyone from a bush kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah, and again as we've seen many times over if you give players any option or any kind of way to cheat the system or get around it they're going to figure that out yeah exactly so a lot of our design decisions based on preview experience that players do and we also have a replay system in the game where you can we record all the network traffic to a file so we can play back a server of how people play right so we can look at where everyone's hanging out and where everyone's dying and if we have a problem where an area is too popular we can go balance that kind of thing based on player data right because some feedback you get is like this dinosaur is strong nerf this this dinosaur is weak buff that Mm -hmm. where the solution might not be any of those problems it might be changing the map or doing something with this quest that solves the problem in a different way you know what i mean you have to look at multiple ways of solving a game design problem not just the most obvious one oh yes and especially with a game like this where if you change one thing it will affect all the other characters all the other types that you have and then you just can enter that endless cycle of nerfing one thing to then buff another thing to then nerf something else yeah, so we want to avoid that. The other problem is we have 18 dinosaurs, so you have to test Dinosaur 1 versus Dinosaur 2, and Dinosaur 1 versus Dinosaur 1, and Dinosaur 1 versus Dinosaur 3, and it's like a whole, you know, log n squared problem, right, where you've got all these different combinations to test. And that's, you know, it's really reason why we um, we want to get playtesting in so we can figure out how do people actually play. Yep. Let's see, anything else came in? Um, one thing, uh, while I'm sure we have more questions, I was curious about, you mentioned, of course, having public events or, like, kind of, like, it's, like, uh, server events as well. Like, what does, I mean, like, a raid event or a global event look like for the game? So, we see it initially starting out as being, like, some kind of environment event. So, like, maybe there's, like, some kind of heat wave or some kind of storm or some kind of thing happening on the map where it's like, oh, I need to play differently now. You know what I mean? Or I need to take cover to not get struck by lightning or I need to... uh, Maybe there's abundance of food in an area or food's drying out in one area. So some kind of random event on the map to make you play differently because otherwise the experience would just be the same every single day, kind of boring, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, like, with these kinds of events, like, obviously, as you were talking about, like, a major part of the game is going to be kind of getting these rare rewards, customs, uh, making rare skins, things like that. So you always have to be careful with when you have these mega events. Because I've seen games where, like, like, one of the things I've seen with something like Overwatch, where they have, you know, like, the Halloween event, the summer event, and if you're not able to lock on or you miss it, well... You know, you're gone for 365 days. You know, come yeah, back so next year. I think we kind of mean with the events, we don't necessarily mean 
hey, this is a Halloween event. You can only get this Halloween skin at Halloween. Kind of like Overwatch, I think, is more of like a this is an interesting thing happening on the map or happening in the game, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily miss out not being logged on. Like something I want to kind of avoid is a lot of mobile games and, and stuff like that do very predatory stuff of like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, your dinosaur nest is being attacked right <laughs> now. Please, in. please go to the bathroom at work and log in on your phone and please mm-hmm. defend this thing, right? I feel like that's a little bit much, mm-hmm. but, you know, a- enough variance to where, you know, uh, another thing we don't want to do is we obviously don't want to have microtransactions. Like, for example, this game, you could easily make a hell of a lot of money if you had, like, loot box, microtransaction, get a random dinosaur skin. You know, but to us, that's a very predatory kind of stuff. We want it all through gameplay. Mm-hmm. And again, like, monetization in any game is a very challenging task. So I guess that actually is a really good segue to this question, then. Is the game going to be free-to-play or will require a purchase? So it will require purchase. I think it's around 20 to $30 right now. Um, the thing we're trying to do right now is cross-platform purchases. So we're trying to okay. do, if you buy it on PC, it's free on mobile, vice versa kind of thing. And if we can do that for consoles too, that would be great. But uh, a lot of that decision-making isn't necessarily up to me. It's up to you know the console providers. But I see that being the future of games where you buy the game mm. once you can kind of like play it wherever you want kind of thing where yeah. you know we don't need to charge you 20 or 30 bucks for two or three <laughs> platforms kind of thing i feel like that's a bit bit much you have to play you gotta buy a copy for your xbox friends you gotta buy a copy for your playstation friends and so yeah, on we and say so like forth. you know if you, the traditional family environment where maybe you play on an xbox maybe someone else plays mm-hmm. on their pc someone else plays on their phone and they can all kind of play in a shared experience and that's hard to do because like a phone for example you have a gig of ram for the whole game mm-hmm. right like the the phone might be four gigabytes of ram but android and a bunch of apps is taking up the rest of that so you've got a gig you know, to pull off a good experience yeah um in Nushiro, in Nushiro, I'm sure I'll just butcher that. I, I'm sorry about that ask will there be a disadvantage between solo players versus group players so there will be a bit of a disadvantage and our, our current stance on that is a groups are overpowered you know like groups are overpowered in real life right <laughs> so like if you're at a supermarket and there's some guy with a knife and he's got four buddies you're in trouble <laughs> in real life right so we want to avoid fixing that nest like fixing a problem that might be an interesting game like kind of like if it's a huge problem and it's ruining the experience for everyone maybe we'll look into it but really want as many tools as possible to better play with other people. Like we will have a single player mode as well if you like don't like multiplayer. Mm-hmm. But, you know we groups we want groups to be a little bit overpowered, but you know, there is obviously disadvantages to being a group where you now have to have food for everyone in the group and there's all sorts of you know, it might you might struggle, right? You might mm-hmm. compete for resources in a group where, you know, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think Shark beat me too. So I'm assuming that you can't craft machine guns or assault rifles in this game, uh, right? That's to a compensate. No, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> now, I guess one thing that I, I was curious about that we didn't get to when we were talking about kind of the progression model and the gameplay loop. So, yep. well, obviously, you said that you're trying to balance it between kind of soft core and hardcore play. Where yeah, so we're putting it in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. we don't want to be extremely easy to play we don't want it to be too hardcore right yeah if you really like easy or hardcore 
you can play on unofficial servers and people can tweak all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with modding and with server configuration. So, you know, these roleplay groups, what they like to do is they like to write a dinosaur profile of like, hey, the Sukumimus plays like this, right? Mm -hmm. And they have like a whole experience of, okay, only five people can be the Sukumimus and they roleplay as these dinosaurs and they make their own ecosystem where you get invited to the server and you get approved for a dinosaur and you role play as it and it's a whole like simulation experience. Mm -hmm. Some people like that. Some people think like, man, I I forgot this random artificial rule they came up for the my dinosaur profile, I'm now banned or whatever it is. <laughs> we want to experience all those people too. So for our official servers, you know, a lot of games have artificial rules, like you can only have three tracks in a group or this like we basically want to patch those through game design changes rather than random number of limit kind of thing okay and um uh, the question i was getting to like with regards to like again like the death punishment or the death mechanic so if the player if their character gets killed what exactly do they lose like, so we have a in-game currency called marks i think there's like okay. a dinosaur marks and you could use that to unlock skins new dinosaurs and things like that it's not viable so the economy is not going to be ruined on that one you win it from getting quests and staying alive and things like that. You lose some of it when you die, right? So there's a penalty for dying. You lose some of it. You don't lose, and you don't lose too much of it. Where it's like, well, I'm not playing the game now. I die by a glitch, right? So it's a, you care about your character about fifty percent, not hundred percent, not zero percent. So that's the balance we're trying to hit. Okay. And again, that can be very difficult when you're trying to throw in, you know, custom rewards or special things and. I guess in terms now, obviously you mentioned that the game's going to be a an actual purchase. Will yeah. are you thinking about microtransactions or DLC or monetization like that? So, uh, this the scale we're developing the game on is really important for indie developers, yeah. right? So, if you're a AAA company and you need to pay two hundred people, right, for example, and you need to pay a publisher and you need to pay your Steam or Epic Game Store fee and everything added up, you don't get a lot of money. Right, you might you might struggle to monetize your game. You might be broke, right? But the the how many people we have working on the game and the scale we're at's pretty sustainable to where twenty bucks can pay for you downloading the game, you downloading mods, some salary for people, mm -hmm. uh, and some free updates. You know, maybe in the future we look at like, hey, here's a expansion pack or something like that. But the 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 issue I have is um until you've exhausted the like people to sell mm -hmm. your game to, mm -hmm. you won't struggle as much on monetization, right? If you've already sold your game to everyone who's going to buy it ever and you've ran out of people, you need to make DLC content to resell to existing customers, right? But if we run out of people to sell the game to, I don't think there's actually going to be a huge hole in our pocket where, okay, we ran out of money, we need this other <laughs> thing, right? You know, mm -hmm. we're, like that that's a real problem right if you have a game like battlefield for example you might the game might get 500 million or how much in revenue and that's considered a failure right <laughs> because it's for some reason like as an indie team you know we might get so many million that's not a failure for us that's enough to maintain the game for a number of years right and if we need more money, it might be in our best interest to add more content, make the game more interesting purchase, and expand out to different groups of people who maybe don't know about the game, right? Yeah. Make the game better. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, you know, we see the game having a 
five to ten year kind of life cycle, right? Where it's going to be hard for us to run out of people to sell the game to. But if that's a thing, we can totally look at alternative options. But I'm really thinking we won't need to right now. Mm-hmm. All right. A few questions came in from chat, and then I have a few more myself. Uh, Rye L asks, are there any updates on clans? Will they be player profile specific, or will they be locked to different to specific characters? Um, so currently, their character or plan to be character specific, just because you might want to do like some kind of herbivore clan or something like that. But you can share a group with your, uh, sorry, a, a quest with your clan as well. So you can all team up, do a quest together, kind of thing. Um, so it's it's separate at the moment. It's not character it's not player profile mm-hmm. specific you can add people as a friend and obviously they might play as a different dinosaur and you might team up as you know carnivores this time or something like that instead okay and uh vosh asked uh do the models scale as you progress yeah so a, a really popular thing in uh, these kind of games is seeing your dinosaur grow and we have nesting and growth as a stretch goal we unlocked Okay. So something we're working on is uh, your dinosaur will grow as you play, as as you get points. And uh, we have different uh, morph targets on the mesh. So, you know, a, a baby dinosaur might have different proportions of like how big their head is or how big their feet are or tail is. So those will scale dynamically as you play the game. So, you know, you grow over time. Kind of uses a morph target kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, I don't think uh, Jeff Goldblum is going to be in this one, uh, Bodhi. No, we'd love to have him, but, you know, it's also, you know, it's not really affordable for an indie team, you know what I mean? It's a bit of a commitment, you know what I mean? Yeah, it would be great just have him as a narrator and just, like, randomly narrates, like, nothing that's really going in the game, just have him, like, talking over everything. <laughs> Honestly, I think the the sales would probably skyrocket, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, it's it's um. Uh, Swift Fox, I think that's a really interesting question. Uh, will there be flying creatures in the game? Yeah, yes, it's actually a stretch goal we unlocked. Okay. And one of the game design points with flying is World of Warcraft had this where suddenly when you add flying, it can ruin parts of the game. Like they had people just mm-hmm. fly from one quest giver to another yeah. and they skipped all this beautifully handcrafted <laughs> world that they spent millions of dollars making. So mm-hmm. that's something we're thinking about performance is something we think about like you fly up you're rendering a lot of objects you want to lag um obviously stamina we see stamina being a big thing where you can't just fly around forever so maybe you'll need to land and you'll be at risk for predators and things like that uh another thing you know which is interesting is picking up a baby dinosaur being able to fly up and just drop them right it's just like a a strategy for food or you know stealing someone's fish or something like that but that's that's all the things we're thinking about at the moment I'm just like a picture in my head right now like somebody lying over the first time they're starting to play and all of a sudden like a larger player like comes in swoops in and grabs them up and that's their first experience of playing <laughs> yeah that's uh we, we look at uh some behavior of animals in real life of what they do and that's a valid strategy of you know it might be hard or annoying or c- c- time consuming to you know, kill something, maybe you just want to drop it, you know what I mean, and, and have that taken care of for you. <laughs> uh, one thing that I was kind of curious, again, going back to kind of the general design, so in yeah. terms of the various dinosaurs, and I guess in terms of, I guess, future-proofing the game as well, 
are you thinking about them in terms of like specific species or specific types of dinosaurs, or are you thinking about them in terms of I guess maybe like quote unquote classes? You know, something that would be a close range, something larger that may does you know more faster attacks, things like that. Yeah, so we see the bigger dinosaurs being slow, we see smaller dinosaurs being faster, and like balance set up in a way where everyone can be interesting. Uh, one of the problems you have with dinosaurs is, for example, um, a lot of dinosaurs or species are very similar to each other, yeah. right? So if we're looking in the middle of the screenshot, we've got like the Allosaurus and a couple of dinosaurs that are very similar to him. Mm -hmm. If you have both of those in the game, they might defeat the purpose of another one that's similar to it being in the game or having a point. So we want to look at gameplay differences between them, even if the model is similar, right? Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, the problem of all the dinosaurs being a different model and playing the same is a very real issue, you know, yeah. in terms of speed and movement and things they can do. And that's kind of why, like, fishing, for example, mm -hmm. is mainly exclusive to the Sycamimus and Spinosaurus, as that's going to be your gameplay loop, you know. Um, so, yeah. And not only that, but if they have similar abilities, then their model, their size will be a major factor. Because if you have, you know, a tiny dinosaur, let's say, doing like a tail smack attack, well, he's not going to be able to hit as far as if you have the same guy, you know, 20, 30 times that size doing that same attack, that can completely wreck the balance. Yeah, exactly. And we see different mechanics, you know, like you might better crouch under that tail smack instead because you're so small, right? Or yeah. it might be different different ways we can look at how do we make this interesting for people to play and so it's gonna be a hard, hard bit so it's kind of sounding like instead of having like hard quote-unquote classes that you may be going for maybe like a pool of different skills and then maybe assigning different skills to each kind of species of dinosaur yeah so you might be a raptor kind of dinosaur maybe we give you like here's your options and things you can unlock mm -hmm. and here's the differences between playing this guy versus this guy Mm -hmm. uh, someone also asks about balancing AI. What we plan on doing is, the less players that are on the server, the more AI we spawn. As as okay. you know, more people spawn in, we'll swap those out with real players, so the world can still feel alive. Like some of the problems are with games, is if your player mm -hmm. base drops a little bit, suddenly the gameplay doesn't work, yeah. and suddenly the game's really boring. So. You know, for, I don't know if comparing like Lawbreakers, but their player base dropped a certain amount, and then suddenly people couldn't get into matches, and then your game dies instantly at that point. We yeah. see, you know, um, population scaling based on player demand, so mm -hmm. that kind of problem didn't happen. And again, that's been the death nail for many multiplayer games over this past decade. Because once you start losing players, it becomes that downward spiral of, I try to lock on, there's nobody to play, so I stop logging on, so the next person can't find anyone, and it just repeats until there's like five or ten people left playing. Yeah, so that can be a very huge problem for the life cycle of a game, is making sure <laughs> that... And, and maybe you're playing in a country, so, you know, so Brazil, for example, and maybe there's not as many people online, mm -hmm. and you've got ping to a server, so... The game might be super popular with millions of people playing, but maybe one area is less popular. So we yeah. want to make the the base game fun. Uh, but another thing to factor in is that AI behaves differently than players do. You know, like very differently. So yeah. having it still work out with that problem. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I have a few more questions, and uh, we have some more questions in chat as well. Before I get to some more of the uh, uh, questions from chat, one thing I just wanted to ask. You mentioned earlier that the servers themselves will be, I think, like 200 players per server. Are there any plans or any thoughts about raising or lowering the number of max players? Yeah, so I think the the average Unreal Engine game with like as a first-person shooter, they're going for like a hundred, right, on one server process, right, and that's really hard because you've got like bullet prediction and all these other calculations you have to do. With dinosaurs, because they're not running around with the machine guns, we feel like we can get it up to that two hundred number. To get beyond 200, we feel like um, you'd need some kind of solution, kind of like World of Warcraft does, where you distribute players over multiple servers and you have them switch between them kind of thing. Uh, but the, we do see that expanding in the future. I, I think like, oh, having a 1,000 people, that's really cool. But you have <laughs> to factor in, does that make the game any better? Right? Like, it's a really cool number and stuff like, oh, my God, all these people are playing. But does that make the game any better? And if it doesn't we feel like more players won't make the game any better mm-hmm. we probably won't go down that direction because it's a lot of resources if it doesn't improve the game mm-hmm. you know then that's that's not not that fun to play and speaking of is the map like are the maps in the game like procedural or randomly generated or is it like the same map for each server so we have uh, we have a map we call it uh Pandora. But it's, it, we basically hand make it tile by tile so I think it's like 64 tiles okay. I think like a tile is like a kilometer or something like that we have so many tiles complete <laughs> and we have to have our artists go through tile by tile right and you know we might have an area on the map that might look really good but it might be really bad to players right so mm-hmm. we'll collect feedback from people and we'll go change the map based on how people play like mm-hmm. this area it looks really cool, but there's this ledge and there's a way someone plays, and that might ruin the gameplay experience for someone. Alright. Uh, before I get to a few more of my questions, let's go through some of the ones that came in through chat. Uh, Rye L asked, will clans be able to mix carnivores and herbivores, and what are the benefits of clans other than grouping up? So one of the benefits with clans is you can obviously share quests. You can easily join, you know, like coordinating people on different servers. It might be more convenient. You get your own chat. You can chat to each other, like text chat, uh, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, the you know, there's also like tools for assisting out, like where my friend is, right? So one problem we had with our game design was you you might be playing the game with your girlfriend, and for example, um you're at the different you're at the other side of the map you spend two hours trying to find <laughs> your girlfriend she gets killed seconds after you find her you start the whole thing over again so we find like finding each other on the map's not really that fun what we a mechanic we added was waystones where you can go to the stone and activate and invite your friend who might be in your clan to where they can spawn in where that waystone is so you can skip the whole two hour process <laughs> of finding your friend and go to the fun parts of the game that we want you to play. Because playing with friends mm-hmm. is just so much more fun than running around yourself, you know, in my experience. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, Ryu asks, will there be creatures that only live in water? Uh, 
I think we do have some AI AI creatures and things like that that'll we've got critter critter AIs around <laughs> the map. Um, but we do plan on you know um, you know even with like Spinosaurus or you know some kind of crocodile based life form like there is some ground gameplay you know that we find probably be more interesting. Uh, if we ever do like playable aquatics or fish or something like that, I think it's a stretch goal. Like those will those will be water based and the map has to be designed around their gameplay. Yeah. A uh, Swift Fox asked, "Will there be a maximum number of dinosaurs?" I guess in terms of I guess type. So like, if will there be like a limit of let's say, fifth? There can only be fifty carnivores on a server, or you know, a hundred herbivores, or things like that. Yeah. So, talked a little about this earlier. We want to avoid artificial limits, so mm -hmm. you can only have you know five Spinosauruses or whatever it is on the server. If everybody wants to play only one dinosaur, we will look into that in our game design. Like, how does that affect? We might spawn more herbivore AI to compensate for everyone playing that kind of dinosaur um, and things like that. But we don't really want to penalize people for playing the dinosaur they want to play, right? It'd be like if um, mm -hmm. you went to play World of Warcraft and like, well, only five people can play Rogue right now. I don't think you'd have a very good time. So we can make the, the, the gameplay where if you're a Spinosaurus and everyone's that, it's going to be so much more interesting playing as a smaller smaller guy that's faster than that to you know fight for resources going around the map get objectives things like that uh to where that's more interesting more people want to play that mm -hmm. uh bodhi asked um i guess when is like your official or what is your plans for like a launch for path of titans so our current schedule we want to do uh want to do some kind of launch in february but okay. Uh, we do need to fit in some kind of playtesting and things like that before that. So there might be a bit of delay on the exact time, but that's kind of like a, a pro approximation. Okay. We we are interested in like syncing up the launch of the console versions and all that all at the same time. So that's hard, right? Because you mm -hmm. have to get certified, you know, certified in Europe, certified in America, certified in Japan, certified in this language for every console like multiple times. So... We're looking into stuff like that, but we'll let people know um, how that's going. And generally, the approach to community management and schedules and timelines and stuff like that I take are: uh, if you be honest with people, you know, you can't have controversies and things can't be go wrong. You know, what I mean, if you're honest with your customers, you tell them exactly what they're going to get, and you're transparent and open, and you're not adding predatory microtransactions and stuff like that. They're generally okay with you know your schedules and the things you're doing the moment you start lying to people <laughs> that's when you start having backlash and controversy and you know if you look at any AAA game they're like this guy <laughs> this one added loot boxes and they didn't disclose it before they launched and everyone's upset and they're all refunding it i think if you be honest and um one of the reasons why we wanted to do our own platform was uh because we could refund anybody for any reason right like we didn't have to like, go talk to steam and be like hey this person's not enjoying the game, but we can't really refund you. We can, like, giving you back your twenty dollars is a lot cheaper than that person being upset or unhappy with the game. Mm -hmm. And again, you have to be that level transparent with people, or as we've seen, that's how a lot of these controversies seem to start. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, there's always this ah. Uh, they pat they changed the Euler and they didn't tell people and now you know 
you know, you might have some comment of, oh, this game is spying on me or, or something <laughs> like that, right? So we're being open and honest and transparent. We can't be too transparent about the console stuff because of non-disclosure stuff, but everything else we're trying to be as transparent as possible uh, on exactly what people are getting. Um, and that could ruin the game for people. Like, you might miss some surprises and things like that that if you weren't following the game's development so closely, but... Um, we're trying to set a new standard for transparent development where it's okay to show that this game's not done yet and that's kind of why we live stream on youtube every single day and have grown a lot on youtube is that we have people making the map painting skins doing programming all sorts of things every like a video every day right so if you want to follow <laughs> our development uh you can totally do that and you can see the game being made and a lot of people like you know, I used to be worried about streaming the game. Like, oh, isn't someone going to steal it or something like that? <laughs> like, is someone going to steal my code? And the approach is that having the idea is really easy, right? Actually executing on it and it working is really hard. <laughs> so your idea is not necessarily secret and unique and you need to hide it. It's can you actually pull it off, right? And the harder your game is, the harder it is to clone. So we're not really worried about <laughs> someone stealing our ideas or stealing our game. Like, go right ahead it's going to be really hard and you'll go through all the problems we did and that's okay right like we see that as a good thing so <laughs> oh yeah and we've talked about that many times on these uh, podcasts and discussions if a shark is still watching i'm sure he's busy planning his shark theme version of your game right now <laughs> no yeah but so <laughs> we we kind of like what we think that thinking is kind of like a little bit backwards and <laughs> you can just because you can stream the making of your whole game and it doesn't get maybe if you're making like a 2d game that takes a week to make and it's really popular yeah you're going to get cloned but if you're making you know something complicated it's not going to get cloned it's going to be really hard and you know somebody copying our design for example like that's okay this just gives us better competition right yeah. like if there's another dinosaur game that comes out right now we're actually we actually we appreciate the other dinosaur game because it forces us to work harder or add more things and things like that because there's only like seven dinosaur games on Xbox, for example. So there's there's not a lot of them, right? Yep. And again, when it comes to this issue of cloning, a lot of people tend to they will go after those clones, and it's very easy to see what games are usually the real deal versus ones that are just copying somebody else's mechanics. I mean. We certainly saw with that untitled Goose game that I think somebody, I think you linked in and Chad, like, there's already like 30 different clones about it on the mobile store. Yeah, and I think for some games that I've launched that weren't even on mobile, somehow <laughs> there's 30 versions of my game on mobile. Cuphead was an example of that, too. It's not the real game, it's probably like a fake screenshot or something, or <laughs> yeah. trying to steal user data, but that stuff makes it on Google Play, and that causes a lot of saturation, and that's oh, just yes. uh, not fun. Mm-hmm. As a quick time check for everyone, we are just over an hour into the stream. So this will be, I guess, kind of last call for any gameplay-related questions for Path of Titans. We're going to be moving on to talking about the platform or developing the platform next. So if you have any more questions, please get them in. I have a few myself. But uh, getting back to some of the questions in chat, Mr. Dolly asks, Will Spino and Succo be able to depend solely on fish? Uh, that's the current plan, but one thing we're looking at adding is a overfishing mechanic. So, mm -hmm. 
if you go through and you go murder all the fish, they're going to respawn slower, right? So it's in your mm -hmm. best interest to not overfish, and that's going to make you have to compete for resources maybe against another fisher, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's something we'll look at because if you're a if you can catch fish and water's right there, what else do you need to do to stay alive, right? Like everything you need is all in one place. Mm -hmm. So we want to make it a little bit harder for you. And um, the way fish work is they get scared, you know, if you disturb the water too much or, you know, mm -hmm. another herbivore comes rushing through it or whatever it is. So a mechanic could be you scare the fish away from somebody else, you kind of thing. You know, kind of like if in real life somebody's fishing and there's some kid swimming or whatever it is, scares all your fish away. Big problem. <laughs> Um, let's see. I think we uh, answered this question already, but Anushiro asked, will, there, will we be able to have more than one dinosaur at the same time? I think you said that you'll yeah, be able to... Well, the, the idea is, if you wanted to, you could probably have like one of every dinosaur, right? So if there's a gameplay style you want to switch to, you know. And the, the challenge for that is avoiding... So I'm playing as a dinosaur, logging out, logging as another one at a yeah. different spot on the map, and just murdering everybody, right? So we have to set up the gameplay in a way where that's not easily exploited, you know, and mm -hmm. I've seen other games where they disable Steam family sharing because they have, <laughs> you know, you might have one dinosaur on account, for example, and you share the game to ten of your family members, and they all log in at the same time <laughs> and murder everyone and ruin someone's game. Like, that's a legit problem we have to solve, you know, and mm -hmm. um, some survival games that save your location where you log out, for example, log back in, you could log in behind somebody, right? So that's a whole different experience to solve than a single-player game, right? Is yeah. like... Yeah, so... And again, like, that's probably a podcast in of itself discussions about that kind of balancing and the fact that you are essentially trying to compete against the players in terms of trying to build this game out versus them exploiting any loopholes that you leave behind. Yeah, so if everyone's played DZ, right, where you can log out, where you log back. So there's not a lot stopping you from just logging in behind somebody with a pistol, bang right in the head, and suddenly they just die for no reason, and they feel terrible that somebody just logged in behind them. So if creating mechanics where if somebody's logging in near you, maybe you know in advance, right, or mm -hmm. maybe you spawn them a different location or change the gameplay a little bit so it's not exploitable, right, because mm -hmm. this... There's, there's a whole subclass of people that's like, I don't like multiplayer games, and I only play single-player games. It's not because the multiplayer game's bad, it's just there's all these exploits that go on that ruin the game for people. Yep. And again, like I'm, I think I'm a lot that way too. Like, I'm not a huge fan of like exploitable multiplayer like that. Because as you said, it does ruin that experience. That if I can play this game 10-15 hours, somebody can exploit something and kill me in 5 seconds, what would be the motivation to replay the game at that point? Yeah, and most of the time you either hate the person that killed you or you hate the game. Yeah. Right, and, you know, we don't want that experience, you know. We want the experience of, if you screw up and you get killed, oh, it's my fault kind of thing. Right, and it's not, it's the game's fault. Like, if it's the game's fault, uh, you're not communicating the experience properly or the experience is bad to where the play is feeling like that, right? Yeah. Um, I have two more questions, I think, and then we'll turn to the channel, throw it to you if there's anything else. Uh, one thing that I was curious about, you men mentioned, of course, like food and, you know, keeping resources going. I guess, what kind of, I guess, gameplay is there going to be for the survival side of the game? All right, so... um. 
because it's not purely a survival game it's it's you know it's important but it's not the most important thing right so mm -hmm. if there was permadeath survival would be extremely important so it's it's about the 50 percent mark but we do want reasons for people to be coming back to water getting food uh, a thing with the food system is um so when you attack somebody you get a chunk of meat right that gets removed from them and you can carry it around and drop it right so there's a legit strategy of carrying around meat or it rotting on the ground and stuff like that and this is the same with fish right so if you catch fish you kill it you put it on the bank it'll stay there it'll rot over time but this strategy between people where you might carry food for somebody else in your group for example or there might be a baby dinosaur you carry food around for because it can't go around and hunt as well as and things like that so that's where the food water element comes the survival element comes into the gameplay okay and again like survival elements i think are very tricky to go with because uh, I, for my fans watching, you know how much I'm not a huge survival fan myself. I try playing games like The Long Dark, Subnautica, even quote-unquote lighter examples like Don't Starve. And that yeah. constant resource drain has always been like one of the things that drives me nuts about those games. Yeah, so sometimes I feel like survival elements are just copied from another game <laughs> instead of like thought about really deeply. And I think games like Don't Starve, for example... They start off as you're going to fail. The question is when, yeah. right? It's like how many days you're going to be alive for. But the approach we want to take where it's an interesting, immersive, extra thing to do, it pushes you in some directions, but mm -hmm. it's not to a point where it ruins the game, right? Because if you're all just eating, drinking, eating, drinking, eating, <laughs> drinking, you don't get to play the game. You don't actually get to have fun, right? If that's the only thing you do, right? So. It becomes yeah. a drinking simulator at that and point. And that can be like a crafting game too, is mm -hmm. where you have limited inventory space, you have to craft things. You do a standard crafting game, like that can be very boring. Some people like, I hate all crafting games. Mm -hmm. And they don't really, it's just that design of how that's set up. Yeah. Something they had. The discussion about survival design, again, that's another really interesting topic. Because I think it always comes down to is, can the player reach a point of stability or sustainability in a matter of speaking like one of the things I like about Subnautica was that while there were those survival mechanics you could eventually build to the point that it wasn't really a factor you know you have a base giving you all the water you need you grow all your food and you're done while with something yeah. like Don't Starve it was basically you're going to need to keep collecting grass Hour one, as you're going to be doing that in hour 15, 30, 50, and so on. So the, the bit we want to get to is actually right in the middle of those two, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't want you to... If, you, if, if food didn't rot on the ground, you could just have a pile of fish and defend your pile of fish, and you're good forever, right? And then, you know, unless the quests are interesting enough, it's like, well, what do I do next, right? There's no objective or thing to do, right? But we also don't want the opposite approach where all you're doing is just getting food and you can't actually play the game, right? So mm -hmm. somewhere in the middle, it's like a, a balance between, hey, this is cool and interesting versus I'm not doing this thing over and over and over again as boring. Mm -hmm. All right. And I guess here's my last gameplay-related question, then we'll turn it over to the chat as well. Um, you've been mentioning, of course, having stretch goals and things like that. Um, did you do a Kickstarter for our Path of Titans? Yeah, so... We did an Indiegogo, okay. and we actually 
made our own crowdfunding platform, you know, because we're remaking everything apparently. So we actually have both, right? And um, I think we're doing an extended crowdfunding right now where basically, because we're so open, honest, and transparent, anybody can go to, you know, alderongames.com slash store, see exactly how much money we have. I think it's close to around uh, 200,000 USD right now. And we tell you where the money is going, what things are added to the game for that amount of money. The problem that I see with early access games and finances and things like that is you release part of a game that's unfinished as early access, Mm -hmm. you now have $5 million, and it's like, well, I have no motivation to finish the game right now, right? (laughs) Like, Like, that's a legit problem, right? Where, you know, like, you make the game, it's released, I have all this money, what do you, like... There's no, like, shit, I'm running out of money, I need to finish. There's no motivation there, right? Mm-hmm. All your players get upset because the game's not finished, right? They'll get, um, like, hey, there's been early access for five years or something like that, or where's the updates, or why aren't you transparent, or all these things, right? So mm-hmm. we feel like it's important for us to let people know where the money's going, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not getting... Like, I've had a lot of publisher deals, like, message me, like, hey just add loot boxes or just do this thing or release on this platform and i have no interest in like a helicopter or like a cocoa baller desk or any of those things i'm here for a good game right so you uh, want a private island the problem with publicly like publicly traded companies is the best interest of the company isn't the players it's shareholders Mm -hmm. right so you're not thinking with the player's best interest in mind and i see that as a huge problem where and the same with a free-to-play game, you're thinking you have to, if you have ads, you're not a game developer, you're a, you're now a <laughs> avid, you're like buying and selling ads, right? Yeah. That's all you're doing, right? And I wanted to avoid that by, people buy the game up front, my job is actually being a game developer and not selling ads or trying to farm whales or people with gambling mechanics or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. So, you know, that's the way I see it, right? And the players see that too and that's why we've been so successful with this because a lot of other games they're not really open and honest or are you getting a publisher and you know are they just trying to buy another jet or something like that and (laughs) that's another reason why i won't sell the company out to somebody else because Mm -hmm. um if we sold the company to somebody it's not a game company or a game studio it's an investment Mm -hmm. and the second the investment stops returning bang like cancel it shut it down right versus if we're a game studio we're going to have ups and downs and that's normal we're going to keep going Mm -hmm. and I think uh, getting back to the point about like stretch goals and again about that issue when money comes in we've seen some developers have the issue of all of a sudden we have all this money in what are we going to do now kind of thing like do, do we promise, you know, 30 more stretch goals? Do we just keep with our original vision? Do we try and, you know, go big YOLO our game? And that's always been one of those very interesting push and pulls of kind of like crowdfunded-based titles. Yeah, so the, the option is you go with the publisher, maybe you have to pay him 50% or 30% or something like that, and suddenly you lose all creative control of your game, right? It's like you must add microtransaction skins, you must add this, you must add that. And I was talking to one of my developer friends um, about another game where there's an in-game currency and you people can buy the in-game currency to skip actually playing the game, yeah. right? And <laughs> they, make, they have to make new stuff for you to buy, like make new ships or whatever for you to buy. And they have a problem where 
some they make the ships more expensive because everyone has too much money and then a new player can't actually yeah buy anything unless and they spend their money as well yeah so it you created a problem that's actually non-solvable like the solution is people can't buy currency don't have any bugs that give you too much currency balance the economy right but if you start you know throwing your integrity away you actually it's a it's a problem where the game developers put it intentionally in the game and then they sell you the solution right mm-hmm. oh so yes by doing crowdfunding we get to remain independent and two hundred thousand people are like wow that's so much money it's not a lot right so if we if i wanted to hire a programmer it could be like 100k a year right so mm-hmm. um me and the other co-founder we're not actually drawing a salary from the game yet we're using it to pay other developers and you know we'll break even when the game comes out kind of thing not necessarily because if i paid myself and everybody else right out the gate mm-hmm. game wouldn't get made right yeah. there's like a lot of a lot of post-launch costs and things like that oh yes and just as Shark said in chat, like, some people, again, think $200,000 means, oh, you can make whatever the hell game you want. Not really. Like, it, it is very expensive to make a video game, let alone a really amazing one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another problem with publisher deals is, you know, if we spend all the 200 k for example, that's a lot easier to make back than if you spent three million, for example, right? Like, mm-hmm. for example, like the more money you put in, the more risky the whole project gets, and the harder everything gets, and publisher mm-hmm. deadlines and things like that. Right? So, we see it being a economy of a certain scale, and we want to keep things in that scale. Mm-hmm. Players, uh, p- people, people who look at like two hundred thousand, they aren't thinking of all the costs of the game. They're thinking. Well, you know, I only make fifty thousand a year or something like that. <laughs> well, like these these guys just have everything. They should should be fine. But there's a balance we struck that we explain to people mm-hmm. how the money's used and that kind of thing, so they get an idea. You know, but we'd still be honest with people. And again, that layer of transparency is very important for any developer these days. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just you know. Uh, if you want people to support your game and not call it a scam and you just have to be honest and open with them and they'll be really understanding like if you look at every single controversy that's ever happened in game development like every single one of them like i follow a lot of them it's all somebody got lied to somebody got pissed off somebody's getting Mm -hmm. deceived bad controversy happens right like epic game store grabbing exclusives from people or pulling it from steam right you know right or whatever it is like if you're just honest and open and transparent, like, hey, we're not launching on Steam or whatever it is, you like let people know. Uh, that's, so, that's so much important. So we've always told people from the beginning, hey, we're not launching on Steam right from the get-go. So you're either okay or not okay with that, right? And mm-hmm. that's people are okay. People don't mind downloading another launcher if you're honest with people, right? The, the bit we wanted to avoid was... Uh, not telling people about this or oh, I'm going to launch on this and they don't actually and things like that so mm-hmm. uh, let me see I think we have a few uh, questions that came in and then I think we'll begin to move on to the second part of our conversation okay. so uh, team new brigade I think I may have just uh, screwed that one up too uh, he asked two questions or they did um Specifically on AI interaction, will they will the AI react to communication such as threatening or help calls? 
Yeah, so the, the really interesting part is because we have that call system where you can one key to broadcast and mm. two key to friendly call or something like that, we can now have the AI hear that, either react to that, you know, you might do a three call and they can group up with you kind of thing, like as AI group up with you, right? So that's very interesting. You know, if you just had text chat only, for example, then like talking mm -hmm. to AI is really hard. You're either entering commands or you're... Yeah. You know, it's just like some text to speech kind you of thing. You need like a text parser or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, like you see those games that like some kind of RPG and <laughs> you go to talk to an NPC and it pops up a, a text box and I'm like, oh God, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then they asked another question. Will there be communication between the player and the AI? Just the player being able to like command AI or reach yeah, out so to an AI to help them? Um, yeah, so you can use any of your calls. You can talk to the AI, but you're not in control. So the AI might decide to help you, or it <laughs> might just decide to just run off, right? So it's 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 more like it's an animal you're talking to here. So it's it's very, you know, maybe you just murder its friend. It's not going to help you. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's, it's that kind of thing. All right. So I think with that, my the last question for this section then for you, Mike, is. Are there any other aspects relating to Path of Titans from a design or a gameplay standpoint that we didn't touch on? Um, I think we almost pretty much covered everything. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Yeah, we talked about flight, we talked about water. Um, I guess here's a quick one. You mentioned earlier that players will be able to kind of create their own personalized caves and things like that. Yep. Are the caves like Will they be, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this, like, are they, like, instance to the world itself, or so is it... Basically, yeah. um, there's, a, there's a bunch of cave entrances on the map. Okay. When you go into one, you will enter your instance, right? You can invite okay. a friend to also go into your instance. Um, a lot of people are like, hey, what's the point of a cave, right? Um, could people just run in there to just avoid people and things like that? But the point of the cave mainly is you get your own place in the world, maybe you get a break from having to survive constantly or maybe mm -hmm. you're hanging out with a friend or something like that uh we can also show like things you've unlocked as a physical form in your cave right so yeah. you get marks you upgrade your cave you get more rooms you know maybe you get like a pet bird or something like that that hangs around in the cave or something <laughs> like that but for those people who are into that kind of thing all right I think that's all the questions. And again, with the game, you say we're looking for an estimated release date of... Is that February of 2020? Yeah, it's estimated. It might be a bit longer than that, but that's, that's the current estimate. Okay. And again, um, in the future, if you're free, we can always have you back on for a follow-up and kind of what else yeah. you learn. Yeah, I'd like to see, because this game's not out yet, people, yeah. you know... They might, oh, I'm going to follow Path of Titans and take the advice. It might work, it might not, right? Yeah. Well, it's been working so far, but the cool thing about being transparent and talking to the community and stuff like that is other game developers can see, hey, mm -hmm. did this work? Did this not work? Should I go in this direction? Mm -hmm. Right, And that's kind of where we see it at. Yep. So I think with that, doing another time check, uh, we're, we set kind of a soft stop for around two hours. We'll see where things go. But let's get to the back half of our little conversation. That's talking more about the fact that Path of Titans is being built on its own platform slash launcher. Because as you were saying, this is a topic that really doesn't come up all that much when we're talking about game dev. 
And it's definitely very fascinating, especially in today's market with the quote-unquote digital store wars going on between Epic and Valve. So uh, for this section, then, I guess the first question, for people watching us right now, live or recorded, when we say that you are developing your own platform, what does that mean to the player? So that means it's a Steam feature equivalent platform, right? So uh, plus some extra things we've added. So all the features like having mods and being able to take screenshots and friends and everything, we're going for all of those features. So that's actually a lot of work for an indie team. Uh, you know, if you look at like how the Epic Game Store is progressing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the the main ab- advantages we get for the kind of platform, I can I can go through a few. But mm-hmm. uh, let me just set up a screen share real quick, oh, yeah. so. and I'll adjust things here. All right. Uh, let me know when the screen share is up, and I'll switch the image. Okay. It looks like it's working. All right. Give me one second. Here, uh, you may have to kind of zoom in a little bit on the text. Okay, I'll see if I can zoom in. Oh. All right, for the chat, let us know if you can read that text. Okay, or I'll not. I'll be reading a lot of it out anyway. Okay. Well, it's just like points for me to remember. But basically, mm-hmm. um, the the idea of the platform started. So Valve was hosting an event called Morning Tea with Valve, where they messaged a bunch of Steam developers, and they're like, "Hey." please come out, you know, to talk about video games and things like that. So we came out there, we asked, you know, we asked some questions of like, hey, you know, like, mm-hmm. hey, crash reporting doesn't work for 64-bit, can you fix it? And we got a got a couple of mixed answers of like, oh, the guy who worked on that doesn't work on it anymore mm-hmm. and or things like that or like, oh, how did this store algorithm get work? Like, if we get 10,000 people wishlist our game, are we going to get featured? And there's just a lot of weird like numbers and things like that in Steam that we weren't really so sure on, right? So mm-hmm. back in 2015, if you launched a game on Steam, you'd get like a million or two million impressions on the homepage of, of Steam, right? And you'd be successful no matter what, like provided your game sold itself mm-hmm. and things like that, right? But the problem now in 2019 is you don't actually get all of that marketing traffic because of the store saturation, right? So yeah. you get a lot of features and we love valve and steam and it's really awesome and we're not saying that everybody should go make your own platform but Mm -hmm. there's a few particular issues we had with it that we couldn't really get solutions for yet um so it was actually suggested like valve suggested hey try make your own platform and if it doesn't work you always launch on steam later right so Mm -hmm. that's kind of the impression we started off with we didn't Mm -hmm. want to if we launch on steam first and then make our own platform suddenly our user base is split up and now we have to split two different sets of features and two different implementations of everything. So the bit we're trying to go after is we make a platform that supports the game in the best way possible, right? To where if we added the game to another store, it wouldn't have enough, it wouldn't have the equivalent features or, or be as good, right? Yeah. Um, and I think... It's bad, but it just, it's a tool made specifically for our use case, which is always better than a generic tool made for everybody. Yeah, uh, I think the chat does want you to zoom in just a little bit more. I think they said, "All right, okay, yeah, um, yeah." So I guess with that said, um, uh, Vivid Sky asks, "Are you going to have stuff like friends list, DMs, things like that?" Yeah, so we will have our own Elder on Games friends. You can add or remove, but the thing we took advantage was 
you can sign in with Discord, Steam, uh, mm. Google, and a bunch of other providers, and we can pull in your friends from there. Okay. But if you're on like an Xbox, for example, you'll have your friends on our platform and our friends on Xbox, for example. You like you have them both. Mm-hmm. Another and- issue we fix was Steam Workshop only works on PC and not console, right? Mm-hmm. So we make our own platform we can make it console compatible and have mods properly share between all the platforms and things like that interesting and i guess here is a question i'm just wondering about you said that uh valve suggested try and make your own platform with the game so with path of titans did you come up with the idea were you thinking about creating a platform from the very beginning so well we're thinking about creating it right Uh but we're also split between hey, Steam's really awesome. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of good refund policies and things like that. So we're kind of torn. But we're looking at, hey, if we're going to self-fund this game, we're going to need to have a marketing budget. We're going to need extra money to help support this thing. If that 30% no longer gives you a lot of marketing, that's a huge problem for us because if we do our own platform, we can use all that money for marketing, for development, Mm -hmm. for putting ourselves out there, right? So um, that's kind of the decision point if i scroll down a little bit um Mm -hmm. we can talk about costs right so Mm -hmm. we can do payment processing for our platform in 2.5 percent plus 30 cents the cost of buying the game right Mm -hmm. versus like 30 percent you know we have unreligion royalties five percent but um you know that brings it under just under epics epics royalty share uh you can you have to pay some bandwidth costs like five to ten dollars a terabyte for downloads but you get a whole chunk of money you can spend on making your game better or more sustainable, stuff like that. Yeah. That's if you can get the people, right? If you yeah, can't get the adoption, it's actually going to be a lot worse than launching on another platform. Yeah. When we originally started, Epic Game Store didn't exist, mm-hmm. right? So there just wasn't even a thing, right? If you know, if they existed, maybe we would think about it, but there's also the, the backlash that was associated with it that we didn't want to mm-hmm. be directly associated with it yet. And the, the features like modding and stuff don't exist on the Epic Games Store yet. Yeah. So we really got like a weird use case where we're trying to be cross-platform modding and all these tools that don't exactly work on other platforms as well. Yeah. They could work, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do have, anyone have any questions before I move on? Um, I, I have a few uh, platform-related questions. I guess sure. if you want to go over... Uh, I can either give them to you now, or you can go through the rest of the screen, whatever you prefer. Okay, I can go. I can go a little bit more. So another one was Google Play, right? So Google Play is great and awesome, but there's also a lot of saturation and duplicated apps. And uh, this thirty percent fee, generally you get support, marketing, payment processing, and everything in it. If the platform's really big and really popular, you don't get much support, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, for example, I message Google Play and I'm like, hey, I'm having this problem with my app's version number or something like that, some version code problem. And they're like, hey, we can't help you. You need to delete your app and remake it. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's not great. So I, I, I sent him an email back and I'm like, I fixed it. I just launched off Google outside of Google Play and I have 30% more money, right? So, uh, you know, Google Play and stuff's great, but the, the support and use cases didn't fit up with what we're trying to do. So nothing wrong with any of these platforms. Just we wanted to try something different. It could work. It might not work, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, do you have anything else uh, on the screen share? 
Shall we? Oh, well, I was going to talk about the launcher and stuff of the development of how it started, but we okay. can. All right. Uh, we can go. I can go over this through quick. You questions. So, we actually. I went through. I have a developer who works on our launcher in addition to the game. So it's not just me making everything. Mm-hmm. And so, we made our decision. Hey, we're going to try and make a platform, right? And we started prototyping out how this thing's going to look. And this is a screenshot grab from Discord. If every time we've either done something or had a problem, we posted a screenshot. So I just went through the history and grabbed all this, right? So you can see, you know, there's initial concept. You start scrolling down. You start seeing, like, things fitting in place, for example. Uh, you start seeing updating. You start seeing options. Um, you start seeing news feeds appear. And you, as you can see, like, it doesn't just make a thing and it's done. This is, like, over a year we went through whole iteration cycles of how do we want the launch to look and is it going to be familiar and easy to use, right? So the goal is make it easy enough to use um, where there's no friction between people, right? So we can control the buying experience. We control the experience from when you buy the game to playing the game to you quit playing the game, like the whole process. If you have an issue, we can fix it. If like something goes down it's our fault it's not steam's fault it's not epic's fault it's not cloudflare's fault yep. for example it's our fault so we take on all the responsibility but we get greater control on those kind of things right if there's a problem mm-hmm. we're trying to fix there's just on mobile you know as we progress we got it on mac you know one of the important things was getting the game on as many mm-hmm. platforms as possible you can see like it progressing over time get icons getting in we eventually got up to these kind of styles and eventually you know if you can see the current launcher if we go down a little bit news feeds got added in Mm -hmm. this is when we launched our crowdfunding of of how it looked and this is when we started our crowdfunding you could either back on our store or back on indiegogo we kind of had both one of the reasons why we went on indiegogo was you don't have a lot of credibility if you just like put a crowdfunding page up or make your own so we wanted to have another option for people, right? Because mm-hmm. just buying a game on a random store, you're like, well, am I going to get refunded? Is this legitimate? Uh, less sense activation, and this is the current state of where we're at now. 